Hi everyone, this is Maria. Before we start this week's episode, I wanted to have a quick word with you. As you can tell from the title this week and from all of the posts I've been putting out on social media in the last few days, this is a very special episode. Right now, you're about to listen to the 200th episode of Transform Talks. Recording 200 episodes is not an easy task, so I wanted to take a moment to reflect on this amazing journey so far. You know, this podcast began as a way for me to share the interesting conversations I was having with supply chain leaders around digital transformation. I wanted to help leaders cut through the hype and noise around digital transformation by bringing stories to light of how other senior professionals were handling this task. However, as the years have gone by and the more people I've spoken with, this podcast itself has transformed. We now not only discuss digital transformation, but the transformation of operating models, business models, and leadership methodologies. The world is moving at a very fast pace, and I've been lucky enough to spend the last five years talking to experts from around the world about their transformation strategies. A lot of hard work has gone on behind the scenes to get the show to where it is today, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my team for all of the work that they've done. I'd also like to thank all of the guests that have been kind enough to come on the show to help share their stories so that we can drive successful transformation today. And finally, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for supporting the show and being part of this amazing journey. Everything we do is with you in mind, and so I hope that you found the insights provided from these conversations useful, both in your professional and personal life. Reaching the 200 episode mark is incredible, but you know what? We're not going to be resting on our laurels. Work is already taking place behind the scenes to improve the show and ensure that the next 200 episodes are even better than the first 200. Now, without further ado, here is episode 200 of Transform Talks. Uh, you have to help your daughters to uh, become uh, that, uh, a responsible human being uh, that is capable of doing whatever it is that they can do. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to a very special episode of Transform Talks. You're now listening to our 200th episode, and this week I have something a bit different to mark the occasion. You know, when I was putting together this episode, I went out looking for a special guest within my extensive network that could bring us, I don't know, an interesting perspective on the topic of transformation. And it was during this search that I realized, you know what, the answer is staring at me in the face. Quite literally, actually. My 88-year-old father, Gabriel, has had a colorful and interesting life. He was born during the Depression, before the Second World War, and ended up working in the global aviation and transportation industry from the 1960s until the late 90s. It's hard to fathom what it felt to live and work in a world without so many of the things that we take for granted today. From a kid in rural Chile in the 1930s to the CEO of a cargo airline, my father has lived through some of the most remarkable moments our world has ever seen. Not many of you may know this, but Late last year, my father was diagnosed with cancer. We lived through that together in an incredibly difficult year. 
Fortunately, he's now in remission and happy to share his life advice with all of us. Okay, so trying to get 88 years of my dad's life experiences into a 30-minute podcast was a bit of a challenge, to say the least. We jumped around a bit as I tried to keep him on topic, but we had a great conversation. In this episode, you'll get some pretty interesting advice and a different perspective from a business person with tremendous life experience. We cover topics around transformation, circularity, innovation, and raising strong women. I hope you enjoy this episode. I thought for my 200th episode, it'd be great to have a very different episode. And I live with someone who has been alive almost 90 years. This is my father, everyone. So you were born in 1935, right. which is, to set the scene a little bit, it's pre-World War II, it's around the era of the Depression, and uh, it's a very different world, you know? So here we are, 2023. How about maybe I ask you a little bit about what kind of biggest differences in the world from your childhood to today? And it's a lot to summarize in 90 years, but what are the biggest transformations you've seen? The um, technology, I would say. That's the most important thing that uh, happened, especially after the Second World War. Because uh, during the Second World War, the uh, United States uh, produced a lot of uh, airplanes and uh, technology to be used in the war. Mm. Also the Germans were used, mm. inventing many things uh, that later on were used with the, uh, air, with the um, airplanes in general. We started, uh, in those days, we were flying piston uh, airplanes with uh, propellers. And imagine that the um, Americans during the Second World War made more than 20, well, around 20,000 airplanes, uh, piston airplanes. And 20,000 after the war, well, they were there. So uh, they had to be used by airlines or, or military uh, uh, in every country uh, in the world. That was the large contribution of uh, technology. And the Germans, the first, the first in uh, uh, jet uh, airplanes, made by the Germans during the Second World War. After the war, they were used by the uh, Americans and all the uh, allies in the, the war to build uh, jet airplanes. Yeah. So we went from those uh, propeller, planes. propeller planes to jet airplanes in yeah. a very short period of time. Not only that, but we had the, uh, the uh, rockets, the, uh, because... Uh, Space travel. Yeah, well, the, the rocket at the beginning, because they, they were, with that, it were used to put satellites. Oh, okay. So propulsion technology, all that stuff, with yeah. With satellites, uh, communication were improved, was improved. Mm. And in, at the beginning, when I, we, I, uh, when I was started to work in aviation, we had those uh, guys sitting with the uh, Morse codes uh, thing, transmitting, uh, and the uh, typewriting machine, writing uh, the message that they were receiving... Uh, from another station, another country. You know what, I'm gonna interrupt you there because I think that's an important point to make for those of us that are not 88 years old, like you are, how close the world seems today. You know, I can hop on a plane and be in New York in you know a few days, I can talk to people instantly. My sister lives in New Zealand, I can pick up the phone and talk to her right now. So I guess maybe paint the picture of how far the world was, how far everything was, and how isolated 
So we're talking pre-globalization, really. Yeah, because uh, <clears throat> you, you have to understand, my grandfather, the Italian, never went back to Italy in his life. The only uh, way of communicating with uh, his family, actually my family too, mm -hmm. in, in Italy, was uh, with letters, letters. And that would take... My mail. That went on ship. Yeah, went on ship. And uh, the ship would take months to go from uh, when we were living uh, to Europe, to Italy especially. So um, it was a different world, uh, not only in that aspect, but also um, it was a society in my country where people was um, very quiet, very calm. We were not uh, uh, ostentatious. Ostentatious, yeah. Ostentatious. And uh, so... Uh, it, was, it was a simpler life. Simple life, yeah. Very simple life. Even if you belong to a family like mine that was a middle-class uh, society and uh, well done, I would say. Not well done. No. Uh, you were well, a... Uh, well... Uh, no, well, you, you, were, you were comfortable. Comfortable, yes, that's the word. Comfortable, then... Um, but, uh, you know, in those days, you inherited the uh, clothes from your, your eldest sons or your uncles or your, whatever. Oh, well, that's, a, that's an interesting point that you bring. So, we, you know, I'm going to be flipping around with a lot of questions. I use you as an example of when I talk about the circular supply chain uh, or circularity. Mm -hmm. It's a term that we've been using for some time. We aspire to it, you know, so in supply chain, we talk about how we would love to be the circular supply chain. Now, what that basically means is utilizing every element of everything so that you're not wasting. No. So, for example, if you, like I used to use in the wine industry when I first started, you know, when we'd get rid of the skins, but instead of getting rid of the skins and throwing them out, we'd actually uh, use, sell, them, use them for things. agriculture, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, this, it's, it's almost seemed like it's something we're aspiring to, but the world you were born into the world you lived in for most of your childhood and, and adult life was a world where circularity was a given. Now, we live together, you live with me. You don't let me throw anything away. You hate the fact yes. if I, uh, instead of, like, if my lamp breaks, yeah. I generally have to go find another one because you don't find repair people. And you don't make products, uh, they don't make products really like they used to. So do you think that the world is going to struggle to try to adopt a more simpler world um, and try to embrace circular supply chains. Yes, but then uh, the problem is the economy. Mm. And th because uh, the population of, uh, has grown immensely yeah. and they need work. Yeah. They need work. The people need work, need a place yeah. to work. Yeah. So uh, the only way of uh, uh, doing what we had in those days where the supply was uh, not enough. Yeah. For the people, you know. Right. The, and, and now... But, but the demand was also not as high as it not is. Not as high as it is now. Yeah. So um, uh, that was a simpler way of living in those days. Uh, we had to keep... Uh, but you were happy. To, to, yeah, of course. You had to take take care of everything that you had. and uh, So it was... Uh, yeah, we were happy, yes, of course. Even Even now... Uh, when I think about, say, for example, things for like Christmas, which is coming up, and I always mm -hmm. ask you, what do you need? And you're always like, I don't need anything because yeah. you have enough stuff and uh, you've got yeah. shirts mm -hmm. that are older than some of our listeners. You know, you've got trousers <laughs> that are older than some of our listeners, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but, um, but it's, um, well, I don't need any more. So uh, why? 
the consumption in this moment is horrible. You know, the people that is buying things just to buy things and spending a lot of money on getting new shirts, new pants, and everything you're throwing away and what they have in order to have new ones. No, it's a, it's a different world. 1950, this was chilly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a very, I mean, albeit a posh hotel, but what was the work environment like? I mean, was, was it a kind of situation where you see today this sort of dialogue with your employers, with your, or was it a... No, 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 it was completely different. To begin with, not many women were working, to begin with. So uh, everywhere you went, you would see men working, banks, stores, everywhere. Not to mention uh, aviation, you know, mm, or, where you worked, yeah. or the, uh, afterward the detective when I was a detective. So um, it was completely different. You got a job and you were expecting to uh, be working there for all your life because you had to support your family. You see, that was the. Uh, so there main weren't many thing. choices. No, there were not many choices. And you had to find a job and stay there with your job. So you had to. F- follow whatever your boss said. No matter what? No matter what, because you have to keep your job. You couldn't uh, uh, just say, okay, no, I'm, I'm trying to get another job and move. No, it was impossible. That. Yeah. And you couldn't question your boss? No, you couldn't question at all. Your first job in aviation? Yes. Yeah, so your first job in aviation but, was... Uh, what about my first job as a detective? Yeah, well, Dad, that could be a whole entire podcast about your job as a detective, you know, so... Uh, for those of you listening, for those of you listening, your first, you got out of, hold on, you got out of college, no, you got out of high school, went to the military, did your military service, you were also a secret service agent where you guarded the president. Yeah, but uh, when I was a detective. When you were, and and then you were a detective, you went to the Homicide Academy. Yes. And you investigated. To the Detectives detectives, uh, Academy. Academy. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, that's a dad. If if we could, if if I had to yeah, do a okay. podcast about that, and mm. that would be like a whole podcast for those of you listening. That might be a side podcast, but for now, let's skip over that because you decided at age what thirty something, thirty yes. up to change your completely, completely transform your life and go from being a detective yeah. to working in the private sector, and you worked in the aviation industry. Right. So, what year was that, give or take? Um, I would say uh, early 60s. Early 60s. Okay, so you're talking about 60 years ago, more than that. You're talking about, you know, a very long time ago now. Yes. Uh, and, um, I mean, so what airlines, you were working with... I was a detective at that time. I was a detective at, at, the, uh, at the airport, international airport in Santiago, Chile. Mm. And I was the second in command there, but my salary was very low. I was married, I had a daughter. And, Not uh, me, my older no, st- sister. My, yes, your older sister. And then... Uh, I'm not that old. Yeah, one day, yeah. one day I, uh, I discovered that the, the people that was working for Pan Am, Pan Am in a company owned by Pan American, it was Panagra, uh, they were making a lot of money and the only work that they were doing was uh, Ticket agents at the airport, uh, just receiving the passengers, the ticket, put the, and that was it. So I said, uh, how is it possible that these people is making more, three times my salary, and I've been here with the police for more than 11 years. Uh, so one day I decided to ask for a position as, uh, in, the, in the airline, in that airline. 
And uh, after a couple of months, they hired me and uh, I started to work in aviation. And here comes the detective work. Because for 11 years, I worked as a detective, day and night. Mm -hmm. When you investigate an homicide, you don't have overtime. Mm -hmm. You just work. Mm -hmm. You don't ask for payment overtime. You just work. Mm -hmm. And day or night, when I went to work in aviation, they were paying me overtime, double my salary. So, so I made, so, so made three, time my, yeah, three yeah. times the salary that I had as a detective. And that was why I made it in aviation, because I discovered the manuals. And then I decided to study the manuals. And you worked overtime, or you and worked I hard. I was working overtime. I was always offering myself, you need me, me in the evening, you need me at night, etc., etc. So um, I wasn't making very good money, and uh, I loved the All right, job. so it's 1960s aviation. Yes. Now I'm going to fast forward again to another part of the life, because this podcast is 20-odd minutes long. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, we're going to be here for five hours. Uh, so let's talk about 1973, which was a very important year for two reasons. Reason one is that there was the big coup d'etat in Chile and mm -hmm. the dictatorship came in. And the second one is sitting right here. It was mm -hmm. the year I was born. So um, how did the dictatorship have an impact on your career and on your personal life? I was a general manager for a Belgian airline. We were operating flights from Santiago, Chile to Buenos Aires, and then from Buenos Aires, Dakar in Africa, and then Brussels. Uh, we were operating Boeing uh, 707s, mixed, sometimes combi planes, cargo and uh, passengers, and we were operating this Boeing um, 707. So that's your first foray, your first sort of work into the logistics and transportation industry, yes. Yes. Uh, which is why what's interesting when people ask me how long I've been in it, I, you know, I've been in this since I finished, mm -hmm. since I went to university and I started working in the food manufacturing industry, but you were working in transportation logistics, cargo yes. airlines back in the 60s. Yes, we were, we were transporting uh, uh, fruits from Chile mm -hmm. because of the different seasons, you know. Yeah, of course. And we were transporting so, uh, fruits from Chile to Europe and from Europe, I mean from uh, Belgium, Brussels, the uh, fruit was distributed in, uh, in Europe by truck. So uh, we were sending the fruit to Brussels and then that fruit went to different places in, uh, in, in Europe. And also passengers uh, that we had in those days. So let's go so back to then, the dictatorship. Then it came the dictatorship. I was uh, as a general manager for this company and we tried to change the airplanes from 707 to DC-10s, big airplanes. And they, people there, the military said, no, you're the military not allowed. The you're not allowed junta. to bring those big airplanes here so they had in, a competition, say. in competition with the national airline. And um, if you bring them, uh, you will have to have only a, a quota of passengers and cargo that you transfer. And not only quota of, of uh, passengers, but also you will have to pay uh, commission to the national airline for the cargo that you're... So basically the dictatorship was saying you need to pay us, yeah, uh, you to, need to pay us to operate. Yeah, practically that. So the, the airline decided to suspend, to suspend the operations in South America. Right. So basically they, you were effectively out of a job. Me, yeah, and they told me, yeah, well, I'm sorry, Gabby, but, uh, Gabriel, but um, we're going to suspend the operation. I said suspend? 
You're not coming back, I said. Did they yeah. ever come back, by the way? No. Never. never. They never did. So I said, okay, now give me a job somewhere else in the world where yeah. we operate. All right, so that leads to the next part of the story. So a lot of things happen, blah, 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 but we end up in the United States. Yes. Yeah, you end up in the United States, which is where me and my sister and eventually my brother was, were brought up. And you move your whole family. You spoke English. My mom spoke a bit of English. Uh, clearly, we were babies, so we learned it. Uh, and then you went into, uh, eventually you landed a job. Well, not a lot job. You landed a company. You started a company. You started working. Uh, originally, in- originally, I operated some charters to Chile. Yeah. Some uh, charters uh, to bring fruits to, uh, to the United States. That's, that's what the beginning then also char- passenger charters uh, to Chile. And um, <clears throat> I got into uh, the business aviation in the United States because of that. And then you ended up somehow, this is what I remember, I remember you transporting automo- automotive parts. Oh, well, auto parts. we had an airplane, a Boeing 707, 42,000 kilos capacity. And we got a contract with the, uh, with the automotive uh, industry. We positioned an airplane in uh, El Paso, Texas. And from there, <clears throat> we were waiting during the day for the Mexicans to arrive with the parts for the uh, industry. And that's why I love when they, they say the American cars, because uh, we were receiving thousands of kilos of uh, parts of uh, cars and trucks and whatever. For American cars, but for they were American Mexican. Cars. But made in and Mexico. Not only it was my airplane. There were four other uh, airplanes too, cargo planes, independent of the car. And, um, <clears throat> and there were trucks, Mexican trucks, c- uh, going from Pasadena. What, years, what year was this, give or take? Uh, I say uh, 80s, the, the yeah, 80s. Yeah, mid 80s. It must have been the early 80s, actually, early to mid 80s. Yeah, probably that. Okay, so let's talk about the logistics industry. And, and here we go into some of the things that I talk about, which is digital transformation. Mm-hmm. How much stuff was done? with digital technology back then versus, you know, manual? How many, you know, Excel spreadsheets, pen and paper? Well, we use a mix of uh, different things because uh, uh, in those days, you had to know how to load an airplane and how to use the pallets and how to build the pallets and how to put the pallets on board the plane. The weights had to be distributed along the plane. Uh, for the holds and for the uh, decks, uh, the cargo deck. So, um, and there was some work that had to be done uh, by hand, let's put it this way, and to make the calculation. Oh, so you did the calculations by hand? Yes, because, yes, of course, because we had to, the way the balance of the plane and uh, all of that uh, specific situation. And then, of course, we had to check all of the uh, weather information. We have to check... Uh, uh, traffic information, and we had an airplane that was operating <clears throat> from 8 p.m. to uh, 8 in the morning, flying all night, going to Detroit, Oklahoma, Laredo, El Paso, back at 8 o'clock in the morning. But during the day, the trucks, Mexican trucks were coming with the, with the goods for the industry. And, but again, all of this was handled pen and paper. Pen and paper, yes, pen and paper. That was it. And I was taking care of all the whole operation there. And uh, I flew also many times in the cockpit of the airplanes uh, 
to uh, be sure that everything was working in the different stations in the, within the United States. So, um, did you use computers? Did you have computers? You could take some no, water. No, we didn't have. You didn't have computers then? No, we didn't use computers in those days. No okay. laptops or anything like How that. How many people were... L listen, in 20 years' time, from the end of the Second World War, the uh, technology grew so fast that nobody knew what was the, the stage that we could reach. Those were the days when Pan Am was selling tickets to the moon. We have gone from the propeller airplanes, as I was, say, I was saying, to the jet aircrafts, big aircrafts, and, uh, and not only that, communication via satellite. And um, we were So it felt, it felt all of a sudden like the world was, advanced and... Everything was growing, yeah, everything but it, was but advancing. It, but, but it was advancing in years, Dad. It was advancing in... in within 20 years, from, yeah. the, from the, second, the end of the Second World War, in 20 years we have changed everything in aviation. Yeah. Then uh, we had the jumbo airplanes, big airplanes, 400 passengers. Yeah. And then we were wondering... What are we going to do? What are we going to do okay, with the so, so, so let's talk about... Cargo. So you got me up until the World War II, end of World War II to 65, in those 20-odd years, let's say. Yeah. So did the 80s, 90s, 10s, did the technology advance that much quicker again, do you think? Listen, not that much. Because we, we had, in 20 years, we had the jumbo aircraft with satellite communication. We were uh, sending a man to the moon sending a man to the moon, we were, I mean... The sky's the limit, so everything the sky seems... The limit, yes. Everybody, I, and Panama, as I was saying, was sending tickets to the moon because they were expecting to go to the moon with passengers in the near future, near future. So everything was uh, so fast. And uh, the advancing technology in everything, we had uh, the communication, we had the beepers, yeah, I you know. Remember I, the beepers? I remember beepers. And you had, you had, I remember you had a cell phone in your car, one of those big bricks. Yes, the big yeah, bricks. Big one, yeah. yeah. So we had that. We, we could uh, speak to the. To so the world started to get smaller. It started to get smaller. The world started. And we could, could communicate with everybody so easily everywhere in the world. All right, so now I want to move a little bit, move, move us on to sort of today. There's, what do you think of AI? and you know artificial intelligence and all the stuff you're seeing on TV and the stuff I show you sometimes when I show you the possibility of mm. bots and you know wh what's your thinking there well one of the things that has to be done is uh, regulate that uh, because I've seen that uh, they're using as a joke to joke to uh, uh, use the voice of the president of the United or, States. Or the image, when they had the, the image of the... And, and they know. change everything. They change. Yeah. So it's so scary. It's, it is, uh, yes, because how is it going to be used? That is the problem. Because we don't know yet what is it that... Uh, imagine, everybody has been talking for years about the hackers. Mm -hmm. What about the hackers with the, with the your voice with the now the use of AI? So th are you worried about security? Security, everything, yeah. everything will be changed. Yes. Okay, I want to shift misinformation. Yeah, yeah. All, and we're seeing that all the time. So, do you think that in a way technology has both made the world smaller and closer, but equally has made us more? I don't know. Dangerous. Made it more dangerous? Yes, more dangerous. I was saying. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And more. Well, that's what one of the things that we talk. And about. the technology has not grown 
technology as itself had not grown so much. You have the same cars. Mm. Actually, bigger cars, maybe Faster. the engine is different, a little bit different, but uh, we still have the... Uh, We're still not four, on the moon. We have to have the, four, the 430 that you can use because uh, it's not that different, the industry in, in uh, the automotive industry. It's not so different. So... Uh, and planes, we still have the, not, the Boeings. And yeah, we, we don't have uh, flying cars. Yeah. No, we don't and have so, so is cars. that what you guys expected back then in we the 60s? Yeah, we were expecting something like that, you know. Mm. That was the future, and it was going to be the, the near future. So hold on. So back in the 60s, you were in your mid-30s, uh, and what did you expect the world the world to look like in the year 2023? Not that you were, you were expecting to live that long. Who knows? Look, but we have lived the Second World War, the Spanish Civil War. And then we were seen, we have seen. We, I mean, we, you. Yes, I have seen because of my, one of my grandparents, uh, my father had a movie theater and I watched the movies every day because uh, of what was going on in the world. And um, I have seen Hiroshima and Nagasaki so I was alive when the bomb was uh, killing uh, thousands of people there. Two cities destroyed. That was a crime, you know, mm -hmm. because it's not a military operation. You're veering off course. Yeah, but anyhow, we have seen all of that. So what was it that we fear at that moment? Another war. Now with the end. That's probably the reason why I don't want to see Oppenheimer, the movie. <laughs> because I saw what I keep happened. talking about you <laughs> watching the movie and it's a good movie you should watch it I, no, I think it's I a brilliant movie it because I was alive when they dropped the bombs in Nagasaki and, and uh, Hiroshima yeah. so uh, everybody now is talking about the possibility of a third war no we was afraid of what was going to happen in the future everybody was uh, afraid of a, a next war the following a next war imagine the third war impossible so, um, but everybody now is talking as uh, so simple as, uh, yes, that's Because they don't remember the... They don't remember what was going on with that. So everybody, everywhere in the world, everybody was uh, worried that uh, 500 uh, nuclear bombs in, uh, in the hands of the Russians, another 4,000 or 5,000 nuclear missiles in the United States. We need one to destroy, uh, to begin to destroy in the world. So uh, after that, everybody was afraid. So basically people were afraid of what the future That's could be. That's why the United Nations was created. Yeah. Because everybody was worried about that. Everybody wanted to say, okay, no more war, please, no more wars. Okay. Now, I'm going to move this on the conversation on, in a different way. So you're the father of three daughters mm -hmm. and uh, one son. But your three daughters are, I'm all of us, myself included, sort of leaders in our space. Um, you know, you've educated women, you've hired women, you've trained women, you've you've seen a world. When you started working, there were no women in the workplace. It was not something that was uh, so that was done. What do you think you've done? Because in my world, you were the first feminist I ever met. I always say <laughs> that. I've always said that. I've told you that. I've told anybody who listens that story because to me you gave me the view that I was 
capable of doing anything that I ever wanted so long as I worked hard. Yeah. yeah. So there were no limits. If I wanted to become president, I could become president. If I wanted to become an engineer, I could become an engineer. No limits, just as long as I worked hard for it. So what kind of, uh, what kind of things do you think? And I'll, I'll, I'll say some things on my part because it was my childhood, but what did you do differently? You think to raise three powerful women? Well, since the, um, very age of, uh, all of you, I insisted that, uh, you were a human being and as a human being, you were equal to a man. So, uh, there was no difference. Physically, yes, but that was it. Not mentally. You had a brain, you could think, and you could do things with your brain. So, uh, yes, I, and uh, you can become independent. You have to be independent. You have to think of yourself by yourself, not to be dependent of a, a husband or, or a wife or whatever. So, um, no, you, um, that was uh, why... Uh, uh, put into your minds all the time. Well, I remember, I remember when my mom's sisters would come to visit and they would also say things like when we were younger, Oh, I can't wait for my husband to buy me this, or I can't wait for my husband to buy me that. And you told me and my sister, you know, don't ever expect your husband to buy you things. Yeah. Don't you expect, buy what don't, you need when you work yeah. and with your work, the product of your work. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, that's in my recollection. Um, that effectively I had to be independent. I had to study. I had to work hard. I had to, you know, I played basketball. You were co my coach in many instances and you were pretty tough, uh, and expected me to do just as well as anybody else, you know, as mm -hmm. long as I put in the hard work. Um, so what advice would you give to fathers of daughters today in this modern age, even though, you know, it's, things are different to when you were a kid and when you were raising me, but I still think that there is no, we're, we're, we're living in a society where we still don't have gender parity, where offices still have, you know, the same kind of sexism, the same glass ceiling, you know, maybe, maybe in a different way. Maybe we've, we've done so, so much, we've gone very far, mm -hmm. but not far enough. So what advice would you give? Look, <clears throat> uh, when I was working in, uh, in aviation at the airport in, in Chile, I met the only woman, the Chilean woman, who flew airplanes during the Second World War for the uh, British, uh, yes, for the British. For the RAF. RAF. RAF, yes. She was the only woman that did that. She was taking airplanes from the factories to the, f to the front. The only woman, Chilean, doing that. And then you think of yourself, well, Everybody said the pilots, the pilots, and always they were thinking of men, but there were women in those days during the Second World War, working in the factories, creating the bomb, making the bombs, making... Uh, Doing important weapons, work, spying. Weapons, chips, everything, airplane. So um, that was a big change in society. And uh, so I don't see why not there have to be women everywhere in every aspect of the life of the uh, human race, yes. So what advice would you give to fathers of daughters today? Well, uh, the same thing that I did, probably. I'm not uh, probably the wise man to say uh, this is a secret for this, no. 
you have to help your daughters to uh, become uh, that, uh, a responsible human being uh, that is capable of doing whatever is it that they can do according to their abilities. You know, uh, if, he, if she decided to be a carpenter or, or builder, she can do it. Yes, no restrictions in that aspect. So, uh, and uh, she can do whatever he said that she can and try to do it the best that she can. Yeah. Okay, so we've reached the end of the, the show, and I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everyone that appears on my show, and that is about a book. Do you have any book that you can think of, whether it's personal or professional, that has had an impact in your life, and why? Well, uh, listen, because of the, we have been talking about the impact of the war in society, and the impact of the Second World War, Civil War, Vietnam War, and all of the wars that we, the, the world has been involved with. And um, there is a book that I read that it was made by the German called... Uh, I mean, the German writer is Eric Maria de Marque, and uh, he wrote uh, No News from the Front. Oh, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, exactly. All That's Quiet a, on the Western Front. Yes. They made a movie just now about it. Not only... Uh, well, now, they made they several made movies. Several movies have been made uh, with that. And it was an impact because it reflected uh, the feeling of, of everybody after the Second World War where everybody was, no, please, no more wars, no more millions and millions of people dying, fighting, for what? Listen where we are, the same place where we were before. So uh, what, did, what was gained? Nothing was gained. Everything was lost. So, so um, that was a very tremendous impact. But not only that, I also I read every book that I could during my childhood. And, then, and you know very well that everywhere we went, we had a lot of books. We always carried a lot of and books. And all of you, all of my children are very good readers and they love to read. And uh, because it's knowledge, because it makes you a person with ideas from other people. And uh, what is fair and what is the truth of uh, things. And what is the lies? What is it that, that it makes a person a good person? Uh, so uh, I love I love um, the Russian Dostoevsky, for example, uh, crime and punishment, the suffering of the of the criminal, you know, uh, things like that, and no. Many other books have been uh, very important in my life. So um, I recommend everybody, read, read, because there you will learn how to live a better life. So I think we've reached the end of the segment. Um, thanks for being here, Dad. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and how, you've, uh, and how the world has transformed in the uh, 88 years that you've been alive. Yes, tremendously. Thank you. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. 
I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.